Hello again, and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering we the people to have a nuclear reaction of our own and take action against the reactors. My name is Libby Halevi, and I'm doing this because I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. This program, in the wake of Fukushima, is my citizen activist response to the nuclear situation and my attempt to keep you up to date on what's happening in the nuclear world, which is so much more than I imagined when I first began this podcast. Um, It's hard to even put into words, but I'll give it a shot. During this program, um, a little bit later on, I will be doing the nuclear math, and you'll understand what that means when we get to it. And also, I've got some terrific tips on holistic healing foods that I got from a naturopath that I'm happy to pass on to you so that we can be working on our diet and our supplementation to keep ourselves healthy in the wake of unknown levels of radiation. Unknown because nobody seems in the government is making is taking readings, at least nobody in the government that uh, they're not taking readings that we actually have access to. So today is Tuesday, July 12th. It is day 123 since the Fukushima nuclear meltdowns began on March 11th. And here is the latest nuclear news. We're going to start out with Japan where uh, more news is coming out about the manipulation of uh, Kyushu Electric about promoting their nuclear projects. They were the ones where last week I told you about them uh, having employees write email into a live program that was about, uh, it was supposed to be a public forum on restarting the nuclear reactors. And the company had employees write in without revealing that they were employees to say, oh yeah, nuclear power is great, restart the plants. And um, on this program, four different emails were read in favor of the restart, but they were not Sourced, so we don't know if these came from employees or not, but the employees were asked to. Now it turns out that um, they sent its own employees and staff from their affiliated companies to public meetings in the past to promote the so-called Plutermal Project. I guess this is a plutonium-based thermal project in its uh, Genkai nuclear power plant in Saga Prefecture, Japan. Um, so, in other words, they are in a, they have been in a stealth way having their employees speak on behalf of nuclear power without identifying themselves. That is such an ethical no-no that actually the president of the company is thinking about resigning in shame in the wake of this. And he should, but they should do something worse than just let him resign with all of his billions. I don't know what that would be, but I'd certainly like to see something further go on with that. Uh, Japan also, um, radioactive beef has been distributed nationwide in Japan. And this is beef containing radioactive cesium. Uh, it has gone to such major cities as Tokyo and Osaka. And uh, a good amount of it has already gone into the hands of Japanese consumers who didn't know that they were consuming it. Um, the radioactive cesium, the material in it, was um, uh, was tested at up to six times the safe limit. Uh, but you know, Dr. Helen Caldecott and uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists says that there is no safe level of radiation in food because that creates internal radiation. I think I'll talk about that a little bit later, too. But anyway, up to six times the quote-unquote safe limit 
was found last week in 11 cows that are shipped out from a farm in, um, uh, in a town in Fukushima Prefecture, which is about 30 kilometers north of the Fukushima power plant. Um, authorities said the farm went against the government's instructions not to give livestock feed that had been stored outdoors. Now, the cows were tested, but the only testing of cows is done on the outside. Is there any radiation on the outside of the animal? They did no testing of the inside. So the radiation was consumed, moved in the feed, moved up the food chain into the cows. The cows were slaughtered, put into market, and you have radioactive beef all over Japan. Now, just a little sidebar on that, the difference between external and internal radiation is that when it's outside, sometimes the skin can act as a barrier. Uh, the toxicity is based on how close you are to it. There are factors about this. I've seen the math. My brain doesn't work around numbers that well. So uh, just that, you know, the closer you are to it and the higher the radiation level, the worse it is for you. However, that's external radiation. If you swallow even a single particle of the stuff, there's no distance between you, your organs, the inside of your body, and the power of that radiation for as long as it lasts. Uh, we've discussed half-life as needing to be multiplied by 10 to get the full range of toxicity. So that would be 80 days for um, um, uh, iodine-131. Cesium has a half-life of 30 years. That means 300 years. I don't think you're going to outlast it. So if you swallow or inhale or get it in a cut, any bit of radioactive material, it's going to stay in the body, do damage, and you have guaranteed cancer. So that's what Japan was uh, feeding to its people last week because they just didn't stop the radioactive beef at the source. Um, Here's another one. A fire started in a nuclear waste disposal plant uh, in Tokai, east of Japan. Uh, of course, the government is saying that there's no danger from that, and of course, we know how much belief to put in that. We know how far we can trust governments. Now, here's a little bit of interesting news, that there is a documentary that is being made about organic farmers facing the Japan nuclear crisis. There is a uh, team of filmmakers who have had to be um, snuck into the radiation zone, the, um, uh, the evacuation zone, to take film. And they're also interviewing local farmers who are no longer growing crops for anyone except their immediate families. From uh, There's a farmer who has been interviewed who has uh, a herd of 300 cows. The government has ordered him to slaughter the cows. He's refusing to. He's not eating them, but he's keeping them alive. And through them, maybe we can see what some of the mutations, some of the damage is going to be. But people in Japan, in the wake of their almost constant and consistent um, uh, obedience to government, they have been a very, a very polite, a very docile culture, they're rising up against, there are protests. There are mothers marching in the streets, thousands of them in protest in the major cities uh, against Fukushima and what the government's been doing. And um, as I mentioned to someone just before this broadcast, that uh, they are marching carrying sunflowers because there's some ability to remediate the soil that comes from planting sunflowers. So they have become a symbol for nuclear survival, remediation, 
growth, and let's get rid of the nukes. Uh, Japan is still debating whether the nukes are going to come back online, but in wake of the information about how uh, Kyushu, uh, Kyushu Electric has been trying to manipulate public opinion, uh, public opinion and even some government official opinion is turning even more strongly against restarting the nuke plants or building additional ones. And that's why Japan is currently under edict from the government to cut their energy usage. Um, normal people, regular uh, 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 companies and the like are asked to cut by at least 15%, and the government is setting the model by cutting their usage by 25%. That's the goal they've set. Um, we'll find out how well they are doing, but it's mandatory because one-third of their nuclear reactors have been shut down, and probably the rest will be over the next two years if only for standard maintenance. The question then becoming, will any of them be restarted? We don't know. Here in the United States, um, there was a new report by the Union of Concerned Scientists that documented in chilling detail 14 instances of near misses with catastrophic nuclear disaster in U.S. nuclear power plants in 2010 alone. Now, the Union of Concerned Scientists is a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based environmental and nuclear watchdog group and it accuses the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC, of allowing plant operators to compromise safety and ignore or delay repairs. And that is what led to 14 significant event, events posing the potential of a nuclear catastrophe. Among the things they cited were leaking roofs, floods, the floods were near safety equipment, rusty pipes, faulty pumps, fires, and inadvertent shutdowns. The problems were occurring at a rate of more than one a month, and they occurred in 12 different states, Arkansas, Illinois, North Carolina, Maryland. South Carolina had three separate events, Florida, Ohio, California, Alabama, Nebraska, Virginia, and Kansas. So that's the record for 2010 in the United States. I know the story I wanted to have next, and I'm not finding it on my desk. There, there's no lack of nuclear information. Ah, here's where I wanted to go. Okay. Now, in the States, we'll switch to um, United States news. You know, we ducked the bullet with the fire in Los Alamos. Though there are crews now at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, this is where we developed our nuclear weapons, uh, and which has so much nuclear material there. It has the world's largest stockpile of plutonium, which is rather well protected, at least in their terms, at least that's what they're saying, but had over 31,000 uh, pounds of um, unprotected radioactive materials that were in 55-gallon drums stored above ground underneath fabric tent-like buildings. Not a great thing to have in the path of an oncoming fire. There was also pollution that had been done, nuclear pollution, radiational pollution, from the testing through the years that had been done in various canyons around the site. And according to the government, again, no danger was was created by the fire other than the danger of the fire itself. Nothing nuclear happened. There was nothing nuclear in the in the smoke, and we really didn't have to worry about it. However, now, as of today, news comes that crews at the Los Alamos National Laboratory have begun removing contaminated soil from nearby canyons 
out of a concern now that flash flooding could wash toxins into the Rio Grande, which is the river that supplies drinking water for Santa Fe and many other communities. Now, over this past weekend, and we're talking here July 9th and 10th, about 1,200 cubic yards of contaminated soil were removed primarily from two canyons, Los Alamos and Pajarito. Uh, These are two canyons that run through the land property. Now, here's the thought. They're just thinking about doing this now because of runoff. There hasn't been runoff in all of the years that they've been in existence, which is since the early 1940s, because this is where the bomb before 1945 was developed. They did tests. Radiation got into the soil. There have been other times of runoff. They're just thinking about this now and getting around to it now. And here's my next question. Where are they putting the soil? It's radioactive. Is this going into more 55-gallon drums that are going to be above ground and protected only by fabric buildings? you got to wonder about these guys. They've got no long-term planning, no long-term vision. They're cleaning up something now, but how bad was it in the past? And the answer is, we'll never know. So a little bit of news from Fort Calhoun. I nearly went crazy trying to find out how high the river is around the Fort Calhoun nuclear reactor. Um, it seems that Cooper is on slightly higher ground and it isn't as much in danger, but Fort Calhoun has been an island now for over a month. And the plant was built at 1,004 feet above sea level. As of two weeks ago, the water level around it was 1,007 feet above sea level. At they did some improvements over the last year. Uh, the NRC did force them to do so. And so they say that they are protected up to 1,014 feet. But there have been more storms. There have been more dam water releases. Dam water releases, you can spell that two ways. And uh, levees have been overtopping or been threatened to overtop. And there was a new storm on the way that they said was going to drop between three and four inches of water. So I wanted to find out what the current water level was. I can't begin to tell you how long I had to thrash around and look around, couldn't find the information anywhere. And finally, I caught a story that was just about the um, uh, the uh, um, National Guard coming in or the Air National Guard, something like that, uh, and what they were doing to patrol the levees and, and keep them from breaking. And I sent an email to the reporter on that story who was with the Omaha World Herald, uh, which is their major newspaper there, and said, what's going on? She bumped it to her editor who got back to me and gave me two contacts within the um, um, within Omaha Power. It's OPP, and there's another letter in there, o- o- Oklahoma Power and something or another. Anyway, I finally heard back from one of those people, and they said, oh, no, there's nothing to worry about. Well, actually, today the water level at Fort Calhoun is 1,005.9 feet above sea level, meaning it's still 1.9 feet above where the uh, nuclear plant was built, the height to which the plant was built. They do have the 8-foot berm. There has been no further bumping into it and ripping of it by um, uh, by people in backhoes running around there. And uh, they're, uh, what they're saying, Oklahoma Power is saying that all of the nuclear reactors are safe. Well, we'll see, but at least the water seems to be going down, and Mother Nature is cooperating in that way. 
However, Mother Nature is still trying to let us know that all things have not been taken care of yet because we got away from the fire at Los Alamos. It's gone in another direction. It's no longer threatening the lab. However, now there's a wildfire in Nevada which is threatening an ex-nuclear test site area. It's in southern Nevada, and of course they're saying it poses absolutely no threat of picking up radiation. And if you believe that, I have some land to sell you in um, uh, Sendai Prefecture. Uh, excuse me, yeah, Sendai Prefecture. Um, but as of Saturday, the fire was burning, where more than 100 above-ground tests left radiation in the soil. And there were more than 900 other tests conducted there between 1951 and 1992 at this test site, which is 65 miles northwest of Las Vegas. But they say, you know, we're keeping an eye on radiation levels just as a precaution. Yeah, uh, they are gambling with our future, and it's a lot worse than uh, what they would be doing in Las Vegas. Now, here's something to think about. Up in uh, Washington State, uh, that the radiation levels in the rain were measured at up to 130 times drinking water standards following Fukushima. And uh, this was in Olympia rainwater. I, uh, uh, radioactive iodine-131 was at levels 41 times the federal drinking water standard. In Portland, it was over 28 times the standard. Boise, Idaho reached 130 times the drinking water standard for iodine-131 and 14 times higher for cesium-134, indicating higher levels fell in Oregon and Washington, but still, that entire area got hit with heavy, heavy radiation. Uh, I've got a computation here for how drinking water standards are set, and it's a lot of gobbledygook. Uh, I'll post it on the nuclear hot seat uh, section of my Facebook page, people are telling me, what, you have your real name attached to this? Oh, my God, they're going to come after you. Well, if they do, you'll hear it here first because I won't be here. Um, but in any event, uh, I will post that so you can understand how they set radiation levels and how it's based on a lifetime dose and they slice and dice the numbers. But the bottom line is more radiation than was healthy for you know living creatures fell in the northwest in the wake of Fukushima. And uh, now, isn't it interesting that just now, starting today and through the 28th of July, the U.S. Department of Energy's Remote Sensing Laboratory Aerial Measurement Systems, don't ask me how to pronounce that in the acronym, uh, is flying over two urban areas of King and Pierce counties, which are in the middle of Washington State, where they will be gathering radiological readings for baseline levels of radioactive materials. Now, considering this is 123 days after Fukushima that they are first gathering these materials, I wouldn't exactly call them baseline. But anyway, at least they're doing it. Here's the other piece of the report. They've decided that they're going to keep some of the information private and secret for national security reasons. Now, the only national security reasons I can think of for them keeping this secret is that it's going to show that they lied, that they were wrong about the information that they were putting out. We were all in much more danger, and we all are in much more danger than the government wants us to know. But they'd rather not have us panicked and alarmed, even though there is something to be alarmed about, but not panic, 
by taking, because you can take steps, which I will get to. I don't leave people in this place. I just want to let you know what's going on out there in the world. Just across the border, up in Canada, in British Columbia, which is the farthest west province of Canada, the chief coroner of British Columbia has noted a spike in the number of sudden infant deaths across the province this year. Uh, there have been 21 sudden infant deaths in B.C., British Columbia, in the first half of this year, while there were only 16 sudden infant deaths there for all of 2010. So, in other words, they are they're they're going towards triple the rate. They're they're heading towards triple the rate that they had last year. And the quote from the official here is: "We know there's been a spike in the first six months. Why so many of those deaths have come up this year? We don't know. Well, it might have something to do with the same reason that there were there was a 48 percent spike in infant deaths." In Philadelphia, which had a lot of rain in the wake of Fukushima, rain brings the nuclear particles down from uh, from the upper atmosphere where they were nanoized after plant number three exploded and shot plutonium up into the air. Uh, might have something to do with the 48% spike in uh, sudden infant deaths in Philadelphia. And in the Pacific Northwest in the wake of Fukushima, there was a 35% spike in infant mortality in the weeks following Fukushima. These are based on um, the uh, CDC statistics coming out of Atlanta. So while, um, uh, what is her name, Lisa LaPont, who is British Columbia's chief coroner, doesn't know why so many deaths have come up this year, there are reasons to suspect that it has something to do with Fukushima. Now, Two things I want to get into today. I did have an interview lined up, I thought, but circumstances came up and I was, uh, and the person unfortunately had to cancel on me. So it's just going to be me today, but there will be a chance for us to have some conversation. Um, two things I want to get into. Um, I said I would do the nuclear math. And that's just a term that I came up with to really conceptualize what it is that I'm going to be talking about here because I I need to translate things into terms that I understand. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a mathematician. I have a hard time balancing a checkbook. I mean, there's a reason why the word numbers begins with the word num, at least as far as I'm concerned. However, I did a wee bit of math because I've learned, uh, this is from Arnie Gunderson from Fairwinds, uh, one of my heroes on the earth, that it appears that more fuel was damaged at Fukushima than all other reactor incidents combined. Uh, he also says that Fukushima is probably worse than I ever thought could happen and was well beyond what we could have ever anticipated. So I'm just wondering, how bad is it? Using the previous gold standard of nuclear disasters, which is Chernobyl, Chernobyl had an explosion and melted down, and it was a 10-day incident before the Soviets were packing boron on top of the reactor and cut down and cut back on the emissions, and then they put the uh, they entombed it. They put it in a sarcophagus. And still, it's a dead zone around there. It's very high radiation. You need permits to get in. You can only be there for a very short period of time, and you have to come back out again. And it created all the damage, and it's estimated that a million people died of cancer in the wake of Chernobyl, a 10-day event from one reactor. We now have in Japan 
not one, not two, but three, count them, three reactors in full, complete meltdown. Not only are they in meltdown, but they have been in meltdown since March 11th, 123 days. So here's a little bit of math that I did. If Chernobyl was 10 days, Fukushima's 123 days so far. 123 days times three reactors melting down is 369 nuclear meltdown days. If you divide that by 10, 10 being the period of time that Chernobyl was leaking, that gives us almost 37 Chernobyl accidents having happened in Japan so far, and it's not over. That's pretty depressing. That's like Mother Nature has got this red-hot penetrating poker in her side that's not going away. We can't get out, and we haven't put out the fire, and it's not out, and it's really bad. So let's move into what in the world can we be doing to protect ourselves from this. And I found a great report on radiation sickness that explains radiation, how it operates, and then goes into some of the holistic things, such as the ones that I've been talking about um, on this program. And what I'd like to do is pass along some of the healing tips that will be relatively easy for you to um, uh, bring into your body. And I have the full report listed with a link on the Nuclear Hot Seat site, which is connected on Facebook. So just go on Facebook and you, you, you under the search, put in Nuclear Hot Seat, it will bring it up. And look for the picture of me kind of peeking out from this little square because it doesn't show my full face. Uh, not intentional, just happened that way. But there's also a uh, radiation symbol, the red and black radiation sign. If you go there, it says radiation sickness. Click on that, and it's a 28-page report that uh, this woman put together. She prefers not to have a high profile around it. She just wants the information made available. So to protect her, you know, her privacy and her wishes, I'm not going to be mentioning her name here. But she had some terrific information. Uh, one of the most important things we can do is uh, eat high iodine foods because um, iodine is going to prevent the intake of radioactive iodine to the thyroid. Now, a lot's been said here in America about, well, we have to take um, uh, what is potassium iodide. And, of course, the supplies of that sold out immediately. It was like, you know, Tamiflu when we thought we were all going to get bird flu. Um, but there are many other ways to build up the iodine level in the thyroid so that we're not at risk from, radi from radioactive iodine-134. Because the thyroid will absorb in any any iodine that it finds. It doesn't care whether it's radioactive or not. If it's got enough iodine that is healthy, it will, it'll be like Gardel. It will be like Superman with the invisible shield around him. It's just going to bounce off of us. So we need to consume foods rich in natural iodine. Um, and some of those, some of the best natural iodine sources would be, uh, first of all, the, the seaweeds and the algae, chlorella, bladder rack, Sea vegetables, in other words, seaweed, as long as it was harvested before Fukushima. That's what you have to find out about. Always check the, the, the dates that it was uh, packaged. Um, they also, uh, she also recommends kelp 
and dulse, which are two other forms of seaweed. Among the fruits that we can eat are blueberries, bananas, prunes, watermelon. That sounds like a fruit salad right there. Then the, um, uh, the, the tropical fruits, papaya, pineapple, and mango. If you're looking for vegetables, asparagus, garlic, onions, eggplant, and oats are good, along with green peppers. Cilantro, cilantro is great for chelating um, heavy metals out of the body. Um, I have a really good recipe that was given to me by a naturopath for a cilantro pesto. I think I'm going to type that up and put that on the site because, first of all, it's delicious, and second of all, it's really good for detoxifying the body. So green pepper, cilantro, Swiss chard, uh, organic greens, and tomatoes. Uh, when it comes to animal-based foods, the only ones she recommends, and these need to be organically sourced, are eggs, liver, raw goat milk, yogurt, and I think by this she means goat milk yogurt, and she lists salmon. I would say salmon might be a little suspect because if it's wild caught, it's from the Pacific Northwest where they got hit with so much radiation. And, you know, if they ate anything that had radiation in it, it's now distributed throughout their meat and you don't want internal radiation. So um, you might not want to do the salmon. Um, other ways that you can protect the body. By taking iron... Iron inhibits the absorption of plutonium. Vitamin B12 inhibits the absorption of cobalt. Sulfur is a preventative for sulfur-35, which is a product of nuclear reactors. You can further protect the thyroid and your body with iodine supplementation. And she had a really clever way of doing iodine supplementation. You know, potassium iodine... There are pros and cons for using that, and it's hard to get good quality now because it's been so, you know, like taken up off the shelves by everybody. We just slurp them up. Um, and there are liquid iodine and sea vegetable um, uh, supplements that you can get in drops uh, on the Internet, but they tend to be really pricey. I mean, like a one-ounce bottle, which is a one-month supply, uh, can be $50, which is, you know, it's a heavy ding on somebody's income in the course of a month. However, she pointed out that betadine, you know, those, those big bottles that you use for, uh, to kill germs if you get a cut or a scrape or something like that, if there's, an, if there's open bleeding, you use hydrogen peroxide first and then maybe you put some neosporin on. I always put some betadine on at the same time. Betadine has an iodine base. So her suggestion is to take, at night, take betadine and apply it to the soles of your feet because things absorb very quickly and your, the bottom of your feet, um, foot reflexologists and acupuncturists can tell you this, the bottom of your feet uh, have in them connectors to every system in your body. What you can do is paint the bottom of your foot with the beta, betadine and then just, you know, put on a pair of, of crummy socks on top of it, you know, something you don't care about getting stained. But if you sit with the iodine on, if your body is iodine deficient, it will absorb in through the bottoms of your feet, sometimes so fast you almost don't need the socks. This is a very inexpensive way to go, and it will start building your iodine in your body very quickly. Other things we can do to protect ourselves, detoxification internally and externally. 
Um, I have been taking uh, bentonite, which is a clay. I just take it dissolved in water, and I, I, I slurp it down. I uh, put some flavorings in, a little stevia, a little apple cider vinegar. And um, also I like putting in baking soda just because it gives um, it, it gives it some fizz, and it also makes it more alkaline in the body. So it's just this, this healthy thing to drink down. But bentonite, zeolite, and French green clay, any of those, will absorb into them uh, heavy metals and radiational detoxification, and then they just kind of like, you know, come out the other end. So that's one thing to do. Make sure you drink a lot of water because it is clay. So you want to make sure that it's kept, you know, that it, that, it, that it doesn't solidify into really hard clumps inside of you. But that will draw it out. You can also use these in baths to detoxify your body. Um, antioxidants, really important now to combat free radicals. You need supplementation for bone support. There are Bach flower remedies to help with the emotions and to relieve stress and reduce fear and nervousness um, during the situation that we are in. And your animals can be given these things, too. It's very important. And I really want to make the point about stress levels and stress control. In the wake of Three Mile Island, the worst damage I suffered, and I suffered for years from this, was from adrenal exhaustion. I didn't get this diagnosed until 30 years afterwards, and um, only now recognize how many years I lived at really very low energy, unable to participate in life the way I wanted to. Not necessarily because of radiational exposure at Three Mile Island, but because of the unmitigating stress that I was under, which just ate up and fried my adrenal glands. And once your adrenals get fried, you can bring them back up again with the right supplementation, but you can't stress them like you could, like when you were a teenager, you could go to rock concerts and stay up all night and do all kinds of things and just push it. Um, I can't push it. But we're all under stress now, especially if we're anywhere in proximity to anything nuclear, like on our front lawn or your local neighborhood reactor. And certainly when we get the news from Fukushima or any place else where there are nuclear threats, um, the stress is there. It's programmed into us. So you need to, first of all, be careful. Um, do what you can to relax. Yoga, deep breathing, stretching, positive affirmations. I know this may seem like a hit of negative, but by having the inform meaning this program, but by having the information, you at least are at choice as to what your actions are, as opposed to being blindly driven one way or another. Uh, so ultimately, this hopefully will help you relieve the stress. But, you know, take long baths with the clay in it to not only detoxify your body, but, you know, throw on a couple of candles, get some nice music going in the background, be with loved ones, make certain that you take time every day to relax down. If you find yourself dragging, especially if you find yourself unable to come up to previous energy levels, my suggestion is that you get a book. I've mentioned this on the program before, but and I get nothing for saying this. I get no royalties from it. Uh, but there's a book called Adrenal Fatigue, the 21st Century Stress Syndrome. The author's name is Wilson. And read it, because there are a lot of holistic things you can do to build your health back up if you have adrenal fatigue. And quite frankly, by the time we get to middle age and beyond uh, living in the world that we've been living in, most of us have it in some form. So I will be going back to this report 
um, for other aspects. She does a great job of explaining radiation, what it does to the body, the different forms of radiation, the different forms of radiation sickness. I mean, this was an act of passion on the part of the writer. So if you want to have the full report, again, you can go to um, Nuclear Hot Seat at, uh, on the Facebook site and get the information that way. Now what I'd like to do is just give you a couple of pieces of uh, better news on the nuclear front so we can leave this on a higher point. Um, in Germany, anyone who doubted Germany's resolve to get rid of nuclear was blown out of the water because the German parliament has finalized plans. This last Friday, the 8th of July, they finalized plans to phase out all nuclear power by 2022. They now lead the way for major industrialized nations um, walking away from nuclear energy. And they also have created a clear path to move to the top of major industrialized nations in making a profit from renewable energy. That's one thing this country respects. Follow the money. Germany thinks they will make more off of renewable energy than they will lose by decommissioning their nuclear plants. They feel that their decision to get rid of the plants is sustainable economically as well as morally and medically. And actually, in the wake of Fukushima, very quickly, Germany took its seven oldest reactors offline. They did that just out of a moral obligation to be to have their people be safe, have their country be safe, have the planet be safe. Who knew that Germany would lead the way? in this way. So that's good news. And then there are my favorite nuclear warriors, the jellyfish. That a string of jellyfish surges have now invaded and taken out nuclear reactors in Japan and Scotland, and they've done the same thing to a coal-burning plant in Israel. What happened is, I don't know if it's mating season or what, but these are wild and crazy jellyfish. Their surges began, began a little over a week ago when they took on a reactor in Shimane, Japan. And then last week, I reported on it, they took out two reactors at the Tornis Power Station in Scotland. Both, all these nuclear reactors had to be shut down because the seawater used as coolant had to come through these intake, I don't know what you would call it, in, intake uh, tubes that were in the local water supply. And the jellyfish just slammed themselves up against it and said, you're not getting in. So the reactors were closed, they said, as precautionary measures due to high volumes of jellyfish following the cooling water screens. What it meant was they weren't getting the water to cool the nuclear reactors and thus had to shut them down. And the same thing happened with the uh, power plant in Israel. So my point, again, is that if a bunch of spineless jellyfish could shut down a nuclear reactor, why can't we? One other item, and uh, if I haven't already posted this on Nuclear Hot Seat, uh, I will today, I promise, that um, if you're familiar with the concept of flash mobs, that's where just a whole bunch of ordinary people suddenly show up in a public place, and usually it's very music and dance-based. Uh, in, in Israel, in a street corner, all of a sudden somebody started playing some piece of music, and an entire group of people started dancing in unison. Um, uh, Doe a deer, a female deer, was uh, danced to in a railway station in uh, England. And these were all videotaped, and they show up on YouTube, and they're very fun, and they're very wonderful. For the first time now, 
in the wake of Fukushima and the radiation and problems that we're dealing with here, there has been an activist flash mob that was formed in Switzerland where at an appointed time around the country, under the supposition that a radioactive cloud had come over the land and people were stricken simultaneously, at the appointed time all over the country, people fell down and lay still. And there was video taken of this of an entire soccer team on a playing field, of people on streets, in the middle of crowds, just falling down, dozens of them, and not allowing themselves to be roused. And the concern and the reaction of the people around them going, what is this, what's wrong, trying to rouse some of the people, thinking maybe it's a heart attack, maybe it's a something. Not realizing that it was an awareness exercise in this is what might happen if a nuclear cloud passes over, it does have the potential to take us out. Now, you can argue the science of it, but you can't argue the theater of it. And I put this out as something to think about. And if anybody has any thoughts about how you organize a flash mob, that's certainly a conversation I would want to enter into because um, I think it's important that we take action, that we take manageable action, take care of our health, take care of our mental health and our stress levels, and continue to keep ourselves informed. Um, one other blog that I would like to point out quickly is japannukecrisis.wordpress.com. The mothers in Japan are posting about their perspective, their concerns about their children, what it is that they're up against. Uh, there's one post in particular I read, Moms to Save Children from Radiation. That is very powerful. So find out what's going on. Remember, Earth is a rock in the middle of a bubble in the middle of nowhere. What happens on Earth stays on Earth. And all of us, each one of us, is truly in the nuclear hot seat. And it's not going away anytime soon. So this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, July 12th, 2011, day 123 since Fukushima started. And, hey, guys, it's still going. If it ends anytime soon, I'll dance the jig along with you, though we'll still have to be cleaning up the debris for a minimum of 100 years. Uh, you can find me, if I haven't scared you completely, you can find us on Facebook by searching under Nuclear Hot Seat on Facebook. And I'll be posting download leaks there until I can get the website up and running. Um, I've written two other websites, but that's for clients, and uh, my website still doesn't have its copy. But I will get there, I promise. This is Libby Halevi, let's get my name right, of Hardestry Communications, which is the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've had our nuclear wake-up call now. Don't go back to sleep. Let people know about this podcast, and I hope to see you here next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.